Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. Years ago, I used to uh, do some uh, weightlifting. And one of the things I noticed, and I wasn't as committed as some, but I noticed that uh, many people would use a lot of different uh, supplements, uh, things, uh, whey protein. I did use a little bit of that. Um, and, uh, but some guys would do special vitamins. I mean, you could really get serious. Some of the bodybuilders would eat five meals a day uh, and fixed a certain way according to a certain plan for the maximum output of strength and efficiency or whatever the goal was. And, um, and they were very intentional about it. Well, you know, as God's people, we need to be strengthened in the Lord. And uh, strengthened by His grace, strengthened through the gospel. And the gospel is something not just that lost people need. As Christians, we need the gospel. The gospel strengthens us and helps us to become the children of God that he has called us to be. And we're going to look at some specific ways that the gospel strengthens us here tonight. So we need to be uh, familiar with the truth of the gospel uh, and we need to meditate on the truths of the gospel. We need to worship God for what he's done uh, in giving us the wonderful uh, ministry of Jesus Christ and, uh, and put our trust in him. So the title of my message is Strengthened by the Gospel. Strengthened by the Gospel. So look with me at verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teaching, for it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations, since those who observe them have not benefited. We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace, for we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. So strengthened by the gospel. What does the gospel enable you to do? Well, it enables you to discern false teaching. It enables you to discern false teaching. Verse 9, he says, don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teaching. He just said Jesus doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. The message is as what it has been is what it will be. Uh, and it has power for every generation. You don't need to look for something new. The gospel is sufficient. Uh, so he says, don't be led astray by false teaching. So the gospel enables us to discern false teaching. Another letter that Paul wrote, uh, he says, uh, don't be led astray. Don't be blown about with every wind of doctrine. 
He said, you know, uh, you need the stability that comes from knowing the truth of the gospel. So uh, the gospel enables us to discern false teaching. How so? Well, what is the message of the gospel? Well, first, it's a message about Jesus, who he is. He is the God-man, fully God, fully man in one person, who lived a perfect life, who died a death at the cross that he didn't deserve, but that we deserved. And he died in our place, and he took the wrath of God and the justice of God for our sin upon himself and said, it is finished, paid in full. And he rose again on the third day and ascended to, the, to heaven. And one day he's coming again. That's the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel tells us about who Jesus is. Can I tell you, every false doctrine attacks the person of Jesus Christ. They'll say, well, he was a good man, but we just don't believe he was God. Or maybe they'll say, he wasn't unique. There are a lot of gods. Uh, as a matter of fact, you could be one of them. <laughs> uh, and, or or they, they will uh, in some way deny the humanity of Jesus. And they'll say, well, he was God, but he only appeared to be man. Um, and uh, there's a pro- big problem with that, because if Jesus only appeared to be man, then the cross didn't happen. So uh, uh, they will always attack the person of Jesus. Also, they will try to do salvation or whatever the equivalent of their of salvation is in that false religion, uh, in a way other than salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So they will usually it usually be a works type of salvation. You've got to do and earn your way into heaven. I can't tell you how many times I heard my dad lead somebody to Christ, and he would use Romans six twenty three. And he would say, for the wages of sin is death. And he'd explain what wages are. He'd say, you know, if I go out and I work a full uh, week's work, I get a paycheck. And that is wages because I have earned it. But he said the second part of that verse is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, I don't earn it. It's a gift. You see, you earn wages, you receive a gift by faith. Jesus Christ paid for that gift at the cross. We receive that gift by faith. And, um, and, and the repentance that we, that we exercise in turning to Jesus is a step of faith. Uh, but we receive his salvation by faith. So um, uh, don't be led astray by false teaching. Um, I, you know, I hear some say, well, you can lose your salvation. I don't believe that's possible. Um, Adrian Rogers used to say, a faith that fizzles uh, before the finish had a flaw from the first. So, uh, and, and I, I agree with him. I think if, it, if a person is uh, abandoning the Christian faith, it's because they never had it sincerely to begin with. Um, they don't know Jesus Christ. And so, uh, the Bible says that no one can pluck us out of his hand, but it also says that uh, if you put your trust in Jesus, you'll receive eternal life. How long is eternal life? It's eternal. It's not life till you mess up or life till you blow it. It's eternal life. And so um, uh, this gift of grace is just central uh, to uh, what what we need and 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 here in this passage 
they're being pressured by unbelieving Jews. That is, Jews that don't believe in Jesus Christ. They're being pressured to come back to Judaism. They're saying, hey, you, you're, you need to participate in these rituals. You need to eat this ritual food. You need to be involved in these rituals that we as Jews participate in. And if you're not, uh, then you're not right with God and you're not receiving the blessing you should receive. Um, and, and so he says, hey, wait a second here. Wait a second here. Salvation is by grace. It's a gift of God. So if you, if you know the gospel, if you know so just some, some very basic truths about who Jesus is and how a person is saved, you can spot almost every false doctrine because it will disagree with one of those things. And so um, the gospel strengthens us and enables us to discern false teaching. Secondly, uh, the gospel enables you by by es- enables you to establish your heart, to establish your heart. Look at verse nine. He says, "Don't be led astray by various kinds of te- strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be established by grace, and not by food regulation, since those who observe them have not benefited." In other words, grace benefits. The, the, the food offerings and all these things, they had something called the fellowship offering uh, that they would celebrate at the uh, temple. And uh, you'd come with your family and you'd offer the sacrifice and you'd eat with your family and it was a, it was a time of worship before the Lord. Uh, but what he's saying is, look, that's just the picture. Your heart is not established by eating some meal. Your heart is established by a vital relationship with Jesus Christ whereby he imparts his grace to you and strengthens you uh, with that grace and establishes you in his grace. Um, Years ago, I had a couple that was attending my church in Texas, and um, they were, I loved them, they were a sweet, sweet couple, Uh, but they were from a different denomination, and they had come to our church for a while, and I preached a message on the grace of God and how it was unconditional uh, through Christ. But it's unconditional through Christ. And they left our church over it. And when I went, when I went to uh, see them, I, me and a couple of others went to see them, uh, she was there and she said, she said, we love you guys and everything, but we just, uh, we just believe you're encouraging people to sin, that if you preach grace that it's, you're teaching people how to sin and, uh, and, and that people are not going to genuinely repent. That, uh, that She said, you know, we believe that you've got to earn it. And uh, the irony of it is, she was saying we were not promoting a righteous lifestyle, but she had told us that she and her husband had been rebellious in their youth. And uh, I didn't ask her that question. That, you know, well, if it's worked so well for you, then why are you rebellious, you know? Uh, but, uh, but, but that is the case. There's something about the grace of God. Listen, if you have to earn it, I can tell you right now, you're going to fall right on your face because none of us can do it in our own strength. Uh, we need the grace of God. It's the grace of God uh, and the kindness of God, first of all, that leads us to repentance in the first place. That's what the Bible says. Uh, if you want genuine repentance, repentance begins with grace. I didn't deserve God's grace. 
I didn't deserve God to reach out to me when I was lost. I didn't want to repent. I wanted to live my own life, my own way, and to do my own thing. But God, in his grace, sought me out. I didn't deserve it, but he sought me out, and he tenderly drew me to himself. He convicted my heart. He showed me that I was lost. And over time, finally, I gave in, and I repented of my sin, and I put my trust in Jesus, and what a blessing. It all began with grace. Can I tell you what? It continues with grace because I still am not worthy of it today. But grace enables me to to pick up tomorrow. If I blow it today, I can start the day over. Praise God, His mercies are new every morning. I can start the day over tomorrow, and I can live for Christ. But you know what I found? When I realize I am secure in God's grace, it frees me up to delight in the Lord. If God is my taskmaster who's constantly after me, waiting for me to mess up, it's hard to, to have joy. It's hard to walk with Him in sweet fellowship, but if God is a God who has uh, done everything possible to take care of the wrath and the judgment that I deserve, who has said I'm not appointed to suffer wrath, who has said I'm justified and clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and so I can come before him boldly uh, as one friend comes to another or as a child jumps in their daddy's lap, uh, if that's what Jesus has done for me and that is secure because of his goodness, not because of my performance, It frees me up to delight in the Lord and to worship Him and to praise His name and to grow in Him and to call on His name in prayer. And and what I found is through God's grace, I have made a whole lot more progress than I ever would have made trying to do it my own way and trying to earn God's favor. I know that because I used to try to earn God's favor. I had the right doctrine. The doctrine is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, but I felt like I had to earn God's favor. Did you know you have all the favor of God that you're ever going to have? Every bit of it you have in Jesus Christ. It's been given to you as a gift of God's grace. Um, So he establishes us, and, 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 and listen, until one day when Jesus comes, we are going to be sinners. The Bible says if a man says he's without sin, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. All of us struggle with it, uh, and, and, and we'll all need God's grace. But praise God, his grace is enough, and I can have hope, and I can move forward, and I can trust God, and I can grow in my understanding because I am secure in the grace of God. And one day, when Jesus comes back, praise God, there's no question about it. I'm going to be caught up to meet him in the air. I want to be living a righteous, godly life, a holy life when he comes. But if I blow it right before he comes, he's still going to take me up. I know that because I read that in my quiet time the other day. I was reading in Thessalonians. It says, whether we are awake or whether we are asleep, we will, we will be with him. <laughs> Isn't that great? Listen. What a God we serve. I want to be righteous. I want to please the God who has done so much for me. He has changed me. He has set me free. He's given me a hope and a future. If that's not motivation to serve him, I don't know what is. So the gospel helps us to be established in our hearts. 
We're established by His grace. So we're strengthened by the gospel. What does the gospel enable you to do? Well, through God's power, it enables you to discern false teaching, to establish your heart, to delight in your privilege. Look at verse 10. We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. What's he saying here? Well, the, those who were pressuring them to go back to Judaism were saying, hey, you're missing out. There's these rituals you need to be a part of, and, and uh, you need to come back to Judaism. And, and he's saying, look. He said, we're a part of a new covenant. We don't have just an earthly altar. We have a heavenly altar. Listen, the mercy seat in heaven is open to every child of God because, praise God, Ephesians tells me, that I have died with Christ, I've been raised with Christ, and I am seated in the heavenlies with Christ. I am right there. Right now, you say, well, Pastor, you're up on the stage. No, I may be up on the stage physically, but in my spirit, I am in the holy of holies in heavenly places in Christ. You see, Jesus made a way for me. And that privilege comes only to those who have repented of their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ. Those who deny Jesus Christ have no access to the heavenly altar. So delight in your privilege. You're a son and daughter of God. You've been adopted into the family of God. You've been reconciled. Uh, you've been given all the, the, the riches of heaven. We have an inheritance that's coming. Do you know that? All the other inheritances you have, you, somebody else has got to die. In this case, we die to get our inheritance because we go to heaven to get it. And it's waiting for us. Uh, Peter says this. He says, your inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it is kept in heaven for you. I've got an inheritance right now in heaven. Isn't that great? That's my privilege as a child of God. Every reward that God gives me in His grace and by His grace, every reward is being kept in heaven for me. And one day, I'm going to shake off this old body. I'm going to get my upgraded model. And I'm going to go be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will enter into all the privileges that I have as a son of God adopted by the Father. So delight in your privilege. But you're strengthened by the gospel. He, he enables you to delight in your privilege. Listen, I want to tell you something. There's no group on the face of the planet that has the privilege of a child of God. This world and all that is in it are one day going to burn up. We have a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem that God has prepared just for us. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. So it's custom designed, right? Now, I'm not sure what all that means, okay, and the extent of it, but I kind of like to think that, that Jesus, I mean, he's had a long time to do it, right? Jesus has made a place just for Roger Pugh. He knows what I like. He knows what I don't like. I imagine there's probably going to be something red in it, okay, uh, because I like the color red. It's a place just for me. 
That's my privilege. You, you see, he's, he's preparing a welcome home session for each one of us. Because we're his kids. Listen, I'm excited to see my kids when I get to see them. And uh, especially, you know, Megan and Cal are here. Uh, and we get to see them and we love seeing them. But we don't get to see David and Alyssa much. And so it's very exciting for us when we get to see them. When they come home or we go up there to see them, it's exciting. I think the Lord Jesus Christ is, is excited to meet us. He knows the day it's going to happen. If, if Jesus tarries one of these days, I, I'll pass. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'll go into his presence and there'll be a welcome party, I think, for me. And he'll usher me into the places in the, that he's prepared for me. So I'm excited, in case you can't tell. Uh, I am delighted in the privilege that God has given me. He says, we have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. He says, quit worrying about what they think. Your privileges are greater. So um, we're strengthened by the gospel. Well, what, does, what does the gospel enable us to do? Well, in God's power, the gospel enables you to discern false teaching, to establish your heart, to delight in your privilege, to trust in Jesus' sacrifice. Look at verse 12. Uh, well, back up to verse 11. He says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. He's talking about the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16. Uh, once a year on the Day of Atonement, they would get the two goats and the, and the bull, and they would do a national offering. And they would, uh, there was the scapegoat that got, you confessed the sins of the people over the scapegoat, he was sent out. But then you, the other goat was sacrificed as a sin offering. The bull was sacrificed as a sin offering. And then they were, the blood was taken into the holy place. And as they put the blood on the altar uh, there in the courtyard, but also the altar of burnt incense, uh, they would take and then put on the mercy seat the blood of the sin offering. It was for the purpose of making the people holy. That our, our translation uses the word sanctify. That's what sanctify means, to make holy. So, um, then they would take the bodies of these animals because they were sin offerings. They weren't, you know, with some of the offerings you could eat part of it and so forth. But with this, because it was the yearly Day of Atonement sin offering, it was considered to bear the sin of the people. So they wouldn't eat it. They would take it outside the, the gates of the city and they would burn it outside the gates of the city. And the priest would have to to change clothes because the sacrifice has been contaminated with the sin of the people. The sin had transferred from the nation of Israel to the sacrifices that were offered. That was the picture. And that's what happened on Calvary. Our sin was transferred to Jesus Christ. So where did Jesus die? He died outside the gate of the city because that was the place where the unclean and the sinful went and on the day of atonement that's where the sacrifice of sin offering went jesus fulfilled it there on our behalf and our sin was placed on him 
So he suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people or make them holy, verse 12, by his own blood. Jesus is a greater sacrifice once for all. He makes us holy by his blood. Um, It's amazing that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. That's a wonderful thing. But it does more than that. The blood of Jesus makes us holy. We are made holy in two ways. We are made holy positionally. And that's what this is talking about. Uh, you remember you remember Moses when he, he set up the tabernacle? He, he went around and sprinkled blood on, on all the tabernacle articles. And he sprinkled blood on the people. If I had a big old thing sprinkling blood, you might run for the hills if I went out here to try to sprinkle blood on you. Uh, but, uh, but that's what Moses did. And it said he, if this was to make the people holy, to prepare them for God's presence to come and dwell in their midst. I'm a sinner. I'm not fit for the presence of God apart from the work of Jesus Christ. But praise God, on the day I put my trust in Jesus Christ, he sprinkled me with his blood. And he set me apart. He sanctified me. He made me holy so that the precious Holy Spirit of God could come and dwell within me. Listen, we don't go to a temple today where the presence of God dwells. We are the temple. And the only way that that is possible is through the sanctifying work of Jesus' blood upon our lives. Um, So... Um, we trust in Jesus' sacrifice. He is the one who makes us fit, who makes us holy. Um, And he is the one who enables us to live with confidence. And the gospel tells us that. It tells us we can trust in his sacrifice uh, for that positional holiness that we need. And then we grow in holiness. That's the other kind of holiness. We grow in holiness as we grow in our relationship with Christ and we learn to walk in obedience to him. We grow in, in, uh, in practical holiness in our daily lives. But uh, for that positional holiness, we trust in Jesus' sacrifice. Listen, the Spirit of God has come to dwell within me, and he doesn't leave. Isn't that an amazing thing? David had to pray. In Psalm 151, he had to pray. He sinned against God. He said, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He had seen that. He'd seen the Spirit of God depart from Saul. He said, I don't want any part of that, Lord. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Um, We don't have to worry about that. We can quench the Spirit of God. We can grieve the Spirit of God as Christians, but he will never leave us. We have been set apart as God's temple. Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You. How is that possible for somebody like me? <laughs> the sanctifying work of Jesus and his precious blood that has been applied to my life. Hallelujah. Uh, so I can trust in Jesus' sacrifice and know that he will never leave. So I'm strengthened by the gospel. Well, how does the gospel strengthen us? By God's power, it enables you to discern false teaching, to establish your heart, to delight in your privilege, to trust in Jesus' sacrifice, 
and to identify with Jesus' suffering. Whenever someone sinned in the camp of Israel, and it was a sin that was a capital sin, and they would stone them to death, they would take them outside the gate, or there was no gate at that time, outside the camp, and they would stone them to death outside the camp. You remember Miriam when she rebelled against Moses, and God struck her with leprosy? And uh, Moses prayed that God would heal her, and God said, well, uh, you know, if she, you know, she's good, I'm not going to do that right now. I'll do it in a couple of weeks. She's going to stay outside the camp for a couple of weeks. It was a place of disgrace. It was a place where sinners were, where what was unclean went. And, and that's where our precious, holy Savior went for us. He willingly uh, bore the disgrace, the ridicule of those who were passing by in order to redeem us and save us. And we are called to identify with his suffering. Look at verse 13. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. As you and I follow Jesus Christ, sometimes it's not going to be popular with people who are around us. Sometimes they may ridicule. Sometimes there may be disgrace. Sometimes there may be persecution. But we willingly choose to follow Jesus and to identify with him and to bear his disgrace. Because listen, this world is not my home. What people think about me outside the walls of this church are not ultimately what matters. What my Savior thinks is what matters. And one day, I'm leaving this world, and I'm going to my true home, okay? There's a city with 12 gates and 12 foundations, the streets of gold, uh, that is unlike any city on this earth, and I'm going there for eternity. The streets are paved with gold, the walls are walls of jasper, the gates are made of single, huge pearls. It is unlike anything we've ever seen. And the best part is in the middle of the city where the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ dwell. And we will worship him. And there will never be night. That is our hope. So in the meantime, if we bear a little disgrace for naming the name of Jesus, if we get a little uh, persecution because we follow Jesus, this world is not our home. This life is a vapor, and eternity is forever. This life is a blip on the screen, and eternity lasts forever. I'm a citizen of another country, and one day I'm going home. And so the gospel enables me to identify with Jesus' suffering and to bear it in faith recognizing what Jesus said. He said, if you're persecuted, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Rejoice when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. For great is your reward in heaven. They're just putting stars in your crown.
Get excited. Dance a jig. I know we're Baptists, but dance a jig. Because great is your reward in heaven. The gospel strengthens us and helps us to understand that this life is not all there is. We're living for another country. We're citizens of another country. And one day we're going home. Strengthened by the gospel. How does the gospel strengthen us? Well, by God's power enables you to discern false teaching, to establish your heart, to delight in your privilege, to trust in Jesus' sacrifice, and to identify with Jesus' suffering. Uh, What a great treasure the gospel is. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Share it. Delight in it. Let it occupy your thoughts as you drive down the highway. But think about it as you walk along the way. Because it is your heritage as a child of God. It is your strength. It is the foundation of our hope. And uh, it will strengthen you to fulfill the plans God has for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. And Lord, help us put all our trust in your gospel. Help us not to be led astray by false teaching. Help us not to waver in our commitment to you. But God, help us to be fully devoted to you. Help us trust you, walk with you, and serve you with all our hearts. Help us look forward to the hope that we have one day in heaven. And uh, Lord, for those who may be here tonight who don't know Christ, I pray that tonight would be the night they repent and put their trust in Jesus Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen.